You're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast, the official channel for faith and life topics at PursueGod.org. Join us every week as we explore new topics from a biblical perspective. Okay, John, today we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 30. So our listeners out there, if you want to give it a quick read, you can. But here's here's what we're going to learn today. This section of scripture starts with a healing. We're going to be, Jesus is going to be healing this blind guy. And then it ends with a declaration, Peter's famous declaration, where he says that Jesus is the Messiah. So that's where we're going today. And probably, John, we should start with this question, because what we're going to be exploring throughout this this uh, this section of scripture is this idea of stages, right? We're going to see two stages of healing. And, and so we're going to start with this question for our listeners, where where are you? What stage are you in with your pursuit of God? You know, we have this, we'll put a link to this topic down below, John, but we have this topic at PursueGod.org that I love. And it just, what it basically does is it, it sets up a pursuit of God, how we view a pursuit of God. And, and we talk about that in terms of stages. You know, stage one is you trust Jesus for salvation. Stage two is now you move on to really honoring God in your life with your habits and your lifestyle. And then stage three is you make disciples. And so we talk about this question, where are you in your in your pursuit of God? What stage are you at? And really, for some people listening today, maybe they're not even on the circle yet. We would call that stage zero. They haven't even really yet started. They haven't even trusted Jesus for salvation. I would imagine we have listeners who've been following through this Gospel of Mark with us that, as you just said, are, are not on the circle yet. That's the language we use, that they haven't put their trust in Jesus, but but this gospel has been revealing more and more about Jesus to them. And we're going to see how that ties in a little bit later in this sermon. So no matter where you are on the circle, whether you are are just off the circle and you're still trying to figure Jesus out, whether you have trusted him for salvation, you're trying to live a life that honors him, or you're in that stage where you're helping the next person honor him, you're making disciples. I think there's going to be something in today's message for everyone. And I'm, I'm excited to dig into it. Well, really, and this is this is where the disciples come in because the, last week we saw that uh, that the disciples are cl- crossing the lake with Jesus, and, and Jesus is talking about the yeast of the Pharisees, and he says this thing, John, last week. He says, "You have eyes, but can't you see? You have ears, but can't you hear?" So it's not just our listeners that have to identify where they are in a journey. Really, as we've been reading the Gospel of Mark, the disciples have been on a journey with Jesus. I mean, they get a front row seat to Jesus, and they're still not fully getting it. And keep in mind, they don't have the benefit of hindsight that you and I have. You and I know how the story ends. You and I know that Jesus rises from the grave. You and I know that sin and death can't conquer him. They're all processing this as it happens. And so I think it's important even to connect this week's message with last week, because these things all happened you know, one one event led into another event. They didn't happen in a vacuum. So in, in that interaction you're talking about, Brian, they're on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, they're on the west side, and now they're they're in the boat. They're heading back over to the kind of the northeast corner by Bethsaida. That's, that's where they're heading as we get into this story. And Jesus is trying to warn them about the east, and they're clueless. They think he's talking about the fact that they only brought one loaf of bread with mm-hmm. them on the boat. Right. And and Jesus has been so patient with the disciples. He's so gracious, just like he is towards us. But this is one of the first times in the Gospel of Mark where you can kind of tell he's like, 
you should be getting this by now, guys. You have eyes, don't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Haven't, haven't you seen the miracles that I've been doing? Haven't you seen the power that I have? And then on the other hand, haven't you seen the disbelief and the contempt from the religious leaders? You know, just a couple of weeks ago in this series, we saw this crazy level of humility and faith from a Gentile woman. Jesus calls this woman a little dog, and she doesn't get defensive. She doesn't, you know, bow up at him. She just says, that's true, Lord. But so they, the disciples should be able to see now this power of just simple faith that, that, that people have when they come to Jesus. And, and he's saying, you know, you, you have eyes, you've seen all these things, but, but you're not really making the connection yet. And I think as we get into today's miracle, we're going to see the connection that Jesus was hoping they could make. Yeah, and a lot of people listening, maybe, again, you haven't probably been in a boat literally with Jesus. I haven't. I haven't never seen Jesus. But a lot of our listeners, maybe it's good, even as you're thinking about this question, what stage are you in with your pursuit of God? It it's, might be helpful to think about some of the touch points along the way where Jesus has maybe spoken to you through a friend or through reading scripture or through some of these podcasts or whatever, um, maybe through a sermon or maybe an experience in your life. So so really, we're, I think God is bringing all of us on a journey with him. He's He's revealing himself to all of us in his own way, through people, through experiences, sometimes through suffering, through trials. So, so everyone, I think everyone has this, this unique personal journey, and, and we're going to get to a personal response at the end today. I, th- I think that's where we're going to land today, is Peter's personal response to the journey that he's been on with Jesus but it's not just something that Peter needs to do. It's something that we all need to do. So again, it is helpful to take stock and think about, okay, where am I in my pursuit of God and why am I here? What has led me to this place where I'm at, le- I'm at the very least, if you're listening to this podcast, at the very least, you're investigating faith in Jesus. At the very least, you're, you're, you're pursuing God to a certain extent but some of you maybe haven't really taken that next step in your pursuit of God. And, and we want to speak to you today because there are, you know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Listening to Christian podcasts or Christian music doesn't make you a Christian. Every single person has the responsibility, we're going to learn today, to make a personal response to Jesus. There's this pivotal response that we make along the way that puts us on the circle you know, on, 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 that, on that real genuine pursuit of God. And that's really what we're going to be talking about today. So let's get into it. Let's start with this passage. I'm going to read the passage. We're going to look at the miracle first, John. There's a lot of really interesting stuff in this miracle. So let me read it. Let's, let's you know, share some of our own insights on this. And then let's see really how it relates to our lives today. Mark chapter 8, let's start with verses 22 to 26. It says, when they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus. And they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Uh, it's interesting that once again, people are bringing people to Jesus. The blind man didn't find his way to Jesus. He was blind. <laughs> people brought him to Jesus. I think that's interesting. We've seen that over and over. It says, Jesus took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the village, and then spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him. And he asked, can you see anything now? And the man looked around. He said, yes, I see people but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. 
And then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, a second time, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away saying, don't go back into the village on your way home. John, there's so much here, so much here that jumps out. Let's talk through some of these, some of these nuggets today. Yeah, just several things that jump out at me on it. First off, I just see again the hectic pace of Jesus's ministry. It, the NLT says when they arrived. I know some translations say as soon as they arrived, people are bringing someone to Jesus for healing. And we've seen the crowds just following Jesus place after place. And we saw a couple of weeks ago, he goes 50 miles into Gentile territory and he can't even keep a secret the house that he's staying in. So just the hectic pace of Jesus's ministry. And, you know, Jesus is fully God, but Jesus is also fully human. So he's subject to fatigue and he's subject to hunger. And yet we never see Jesus seem frustrated. He's never angry at the crowds coming to him. He's always filled with compassion. We serve such a compassionate Savior. And then you pointed out that people were interceding on behalf of the blind man. He didn't come to Jesus on his own. We have seen a lot of miracles where the crowds have brought someone to Jesus. I, I think that that role of being intercessors is something that you and I as believers are still called to do, right? We're, we're called to bring people to Jesus. And then Jesus takes the man off. He takes him away from the crowds. Again, this is a pattern that we've seen often in Mark's gospel. Jesus is trying to keep this miracle a secret, so to speak. He's trying not to escalate tensions too quickly with the religious leaders. They're, they're, they've already gotten pretty hostile, if you think back in, in the gospel, one of the very first times that they encountered Jesus, it says they left and they plotted how to kill him. So the, so the religious leaders had a very short fuse, and Jesus is trying to keep you know God's timing, God the Father's timing and all of this. Um, I noticed that he, he placed his hands on the man. One of the, one of the commentaries that I read said that Mark's gospel uses that phrase, laying on of hands for the healings that Jesus did more than any other gospel. I think there's some some interesting connections to that, to the Old Testament, Brian, that maybe you can kind of fill us in on. Yeah, it's interesting in the Old Testament, whenever, whenever a lot of times, whenever a priest would lay hands on something in the Old Testament, it was laying hands on a sacrifice for the temple to transfer essentially the sins of the people onto the animal so that the animal would take on the sins of the people. So in the Old Testament, laying on of hands was, was transferring negative to the person or to the, to the animal being touched. But when Jesus was doing it, it was, it was almost like he was reclaiming the whole thing. And when he, and he did this a lot, when he laid hands on someone, not on an animal, but on a person, he was doing it not to transfer sin to them, but to transfer healing to them which is such a powerful thought. In fact, later on in the New Testament, it instructs us in our churches that if someone needs prayer, just like Jesus was doing here in this story, that they should come forward and the elders should pray for them and lay hands on them and even anoint them with oil. And so I love that the new covenant has a, a whole new meaning of laying on of hands. It's the, it's the positive side of it, not the negative side of it. Yeah, it's another example of how the Old Testament law was just a shadow of things to come, right? It, it had a purpose, it had a plan in it, but it really 
was just pointing the way to the newer and better covenant that Jesus would bring, uh, you know, once he finished his earthly ministry and went to the cross for us. Okay, so, but the biggest thing I think that we need to point out with this section of Scripture, and and we're going to save this for now because this is, I think, the biggest insight people need to get, is that Jesus, for the the only time in any of the Gospels, not just in the Gospel of Mark, but in any of the Gospels, this is the only time that Jesus heals in stages. So maybe our listeners, when I read this, you, you you might not have noticed this, but it's interesting. It says that he laid hands on the guy... And he asked a really weird question. He said, he said, can you see anything now? And the, the guy could, but remember, he said, I can see people, but I can't see them real clearly. They look like trees walking around. So this guy didn't know what people looked like. He was blind. So he, it, it, he didn't really, full, he didn't have basically what we get from this is he didn't have full, complete sight restored to him the first time Jesus laid hands on him. And so then Jesus did it again. He placed his hands on him a second time. And this time the text says that his eyes were open. This time it says that his sight was completely restored and he could see everything clearly. So John, it's interesting that this is the only time, this is the only time that Jesus heals in stages. Every other healing in the gospels, every other healing, Jesus heals someone immediately. And that really kind of leads to the metaphor that I think Mark is getting at by sharing this healing story with us. Yeah, as we read that, maybe you made a connection to last week, because again, these two incidents are connected. When he asked the man, can you see anything? That sounds awfully similar to the conversation with the disciples on the boat. You know, he said, you have eyes, can't you see? So this question echoes the question that Jesus asked the disciples as they were crossing the lake. This miracle isn't just a miracle that brings healing to the blind man. It's a teaching moment for the disciples. And this healing is going to be a metaphor for the spiritual blindness that Jesus is gradually removing from the disciples. The, The disciples clearly didn't fully get who Jesus was. Even at this point, much less the first time they went off with Jesus, the first time he started teaching, this is happening gradually. Clarity is coming to them in bits and pieces. And in fact, we'll see, like, they only had full clarity after the resurrection of Jesus and after they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, after they were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. From a from a ability standpoint, Jesus could have clearly healed the man instantly. Jesus has already performed more amazing miracles. I mean, Jesus has brought a dead girl back to life. Jesus has healed a paralytic. There are some things Jesus has done. He's he's calmed the storm that I would say most of us would say take more, what what would we call this, Brian, more, without sounding sacrilegious, more Jesus juice than than healing a blind guy. (laughs) Like, you know, he's done some things that are just more amazing than healing the blind man. And this is probably one of those miracles, I'll bet, that it wasn't until after Jesus had risen from the grave and after they were filled with the Holy Spirit that they looked back and they were like, oh, oh, now I get it. Mm. Now I see why he brought this guy's sight back gradually. He was showing us that he was bringing gradual vision, spiritual vision to us. So, and this happened a lot for the disciples. For example, in John 12, 16, it says his disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. 
But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and they realized that these things had been written about him. Now, the context of that passage was Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. So as it happened, the disciples, they didn't put two and two together that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. It was only later, only after Jesus rose from the grave, only after they were given the gift of the Holy Spirit, that they started putting a lot of these things together, that they started to see it clearly. And I think the same is the case with this miracle. And really the same is the case for everyone listening and for you and for me. No, nobody is born with an innate understanding of who Jesus is, who God is. The Bible says we're all born into sin. The Bible says we're all born broken. The Bible teaches we all must be born again. So every, every single human being is on this journey that goes through stages. We're on this journey of, uh, okay, I can, see, I can see it a little bit more now. And then maybe a couple months or a couple years later, you say, oh, wait a second. Now I see that so differently. Now it's like this gradual opening of the eyes, not physically, but spiritually for every single one of us. In fact, I think about Paul's story, the, or Saul in the, in the New Testament. You know, Saul was a Pharisee persecuting the Christians. And then he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus on his way to persecute more Christians. And, and Jesus strikes him blind. And so he's blind for three days. And, and there's this metaphor again. Now, all of a sudden, he opens his eyes, not just physically, but he opens his eyes, spirit. more importantly, he opens his eyes spiritually to who Jesus really is. So here's a guy who, who thought he understood who God was, the God of the Old Testament, but even even for him, he wasn't seeing it correctly. He needed he needed a like a spiritual awakening. You know, the technical term for this is enlightenment. He he needed his eyes to be opened to the truth of who God is and who Jesus is. And that's true for every human who's ever walked and every human who ever will walk this earth. We all are on this journey of really understanding the most important question we could ever answer, which is, who is Jesus? Yeah, I would imagine all of our listeners probably can think of a similar experience where you've had gradual revelation or you've had gradual understanding. You know, I've, I've read through the entire Bible multiple times, and it still never fails that on a regular basis, I'll open a passage, I'm reading through it, and my eyes are opened to a truth that I hadn't seen before. It was always there, right? The words on the page are the same words that were on the page when, when the Holy Spirit inspired the authors to put them down, but I missed it. I missed a truth, or, or maybe I missed a connection to Jesus that I hadn't seen before. Even your, your example today, Brian, of how the meaning of the laying on of hands changed, right? When Jesus showed up on the scene in, in earthly form, when Jesus took on flesh, he brought new meaning to that. Um, th there's a nuance to that, that that really today for the first time, I really, I saw that more clearly. And, and I know for me, a, a big stage in my journey with that, and this is a little bit off topic, but was the idea of tithing. And this isn't a tithing sermon, so I won't <laughs> get into all mm -hmm. that, but... I, I read God's desire for me to tithe in a certain way for years, that it was just about 10%, 10%, 10%. And then my eyes, I mean, 
20 years into my spiritual journey, my eyes were opened that, no, it's, it's, it's about my heart. It's about giving God my best. It's about growing in my gift of giving, as Paul challenged the Corinthians to do in the New Testament. So that, that was an opportunity where the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to see things more clearly. You know, John, the older I get, the dumber I was. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like I, the older I get, the more I can look back on my life and say, man, I really thought I understood that. I really thought I got that. I didn't get that. And, I, and I, now when I disciple young guys and, you know, our, our, our kids, John, we, we see this is part of the journey, really, is we see ourselves in them and we recognize that we were on that same journey and it's, I think it's helpful for parents even to realize this, that I, I want my kids to, to come to a place where they really understand Jesus even better than I do. I really, I really do want that for them. But I, I also recognize I need to extend grace to them or to other young people that we're discipling, or even young people in the faith, that it is part of a journey. As you're, the, the promise that I, we always go back to, though, is from Jeremiah 29 13, that if you seek me, you'll find me if you seek me with your whole heart. So we need to trust that a wholehearted pursuer of God is going to, like, God wants to reveal himself to us more than we want him to reveal himself to us. God wants to reveal himself to our kids more than we want him to reveal himself to our kids. So he's He's more invested in this than we even are. And and it's a good thing to know that it's really, a, it's his job first and foremost to reveal himself in stages to us. It's his job to open our eyes in stages. It's our job to do it with a whole heart. Or the way we, the way that another scripture says, with a tender and responsive heart. That's our job. Our job is to not let our hearts be hardened and stubborn with the changing, you know, waves of culture and thought, right? Popular opinion. Our job is to keep an a, a tender, responsive heart to to God and to his word and to the leading of his spirit, it's his job then to reveal himself to us over time. Now, John, before we move off of this metaphor, I, I have to just bring up one more thing that one commentator has said about this, you know, where the, the guy looks around and he says, I see people, but I can't see them clearly. They, they look like trees walking around. At least one commentator connected this to something that is sort of obscure in the Old Testament, but it's worth it's worth pointing out here. It's it comes from Judges chapter nine, uh, verses eight through fifteen. This is called Jotham's fable. So Jotham was a guy in the Judges period who who shared this fable. It's really interesting, and it's about it's about making someone a king. And so as I read these words from Judges nine, I, I want our listeners to think about how this might relate to Jesus and how the people wanted to make Jesus king. How even the disciples, as they're trying to understand who Jesus was, even the disciples were had to sort of give up some of their preconceived notions about, about what form the Messiah would come in, about how the Messiah would show up. Because remember, the, the Jewish people thought that the Davidic Messiah was going to be this great conquering political figure king, kind of like David was, and so, so here's what the fable says, Jotham's fable, Judges 9, 8 through 15. It says, once upon a time, the trees decided to choose a king. First, they said to the olive tree, be our king. 
But the olive tree refused, saying, should I quit producing the olive oil that blesses both God and people just to wave back and forth over the trees? So it's interesting. They wanted the olive tree, which was a a huge, very important tree to the Jewish nation, hugely important. They said, we want you to be king. He said, basically, the olive tree said no. So then they said to the fig tree, how about you be our king? But the fig tree also refused, saying, should I quit producing my sweet fruit just to wave back and forth over the tree? So again, the fig tree was kind of a big deal. We don't think of it like that anymore. But the fig tree was a big deal for Jewish people. And so when the olive tree said no, they went to the fig tree, and the fig tree said no. And then they said to the grapevine, how about you be our king? But the grapevine also refused, saying, should I quit producing the wine that cheers both God and people just to wave back and forth over the trees? So, so now they go to this, I don't know, I guess I would say the third most important, you know, uh, not, this isn't a tree now. now. Now the trees are even looking to a grapevine, but a grapevine was a big deal. Wine was a big deal. Grapes were a big deal in that culture. Not that they're not a big deal still today. So rejection, rejection, rejection. And then it says all the trees finally turned to the thorn bush. And John, the, the thorn bush is a, is, does not have any significance for the Jewish people. The, the thorn bush is a, is a throwaway. The thorn bush is a weed. So they go to these, they go to these great, you know, majestic trees in this grapevine and they reject. And so then they finally turn to the thorn bush and say, come, you be our king. And the thorn bush replied, okay, if you truly want me to be your king, come and take shelter in my shade, which I think is sarcasm because a thorn bush doesn't have any shade. And, and he sa- the thorn bush says, if not, let fire come out from me and devour the cedars of Lebanon. In the context of the passage, Jotham is calling out the Israelites that they picked the wrong king. He's saying, you picked the wrong guy. You picked the guy that's trying to advance his cause through violence. I mean, there's, we don't have time to get into all the history of what had happened in the context of that story. And there's a warning here to the disciples that they may be doing the same thing. If they're looking for a conquering king messiah, if they're not being sensitive to the suffering servant messiah, they potentially could be looking for the wrong guy. We're going to see just in this declaration from Peter in just a moment that that they finally get to the place where they have enough clarity where Peter confesses Jesus is the messiah. But even then... I, I don't think he had the right Messiah in mind. <laughs> and mm-hmm. to your point with the Jotham parable, I don't, I don't think he knew what that meant. Well, we know that he didn't know that because shortly after that, Jesus tells him what being the Messiah means, that I'm going to be handed over to the hands of evil men and they're going to kill me. And Peter says, never, my Lord, right? And, mm-hmm. and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I don't want to spoil the, the ending for our sermon in a couple of weeks from now. But so... Peter still doesn't get what Messiah means. He makes the right declaration, you are the Messiah. That's 100% true. But Jesus is still going to have to help them unpack. He's still going to have to bring clarity, right? So this is the tie back into this man's healing. Peter still doesn't see fully, even when he declares you're the Messiah. So maybe we can transition into that verse. It's uh, verses 27 through 30. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah. 
but Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Two things about this. First of all, it's interesting. He's They're now up in the villages near Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is, is actually kind of a notorious place. I, I won't get into the details, but basically it was not... It was not a, a region that had that held um, happy memories for the for the Jewish people. It there were two really painful memories for the Jewish people. One of them was this victory that Antiochus the Fourth had over Egypt in 200 BC, and it caused Palestine to fall. So, so that was the first one. This was around the time of the the Maccabean revolt in 168 BC. So that all happened in Caesarea Philippi. So that's a mark against it. And it was also famous for an, another kind of a more pagan thing that happened that, that again, made, made, made the Jewish people have kind of a bad taste in their mouth when they think about that city. And all that just to say, I think it's interesting that Mark included where all of this happen because i think that's part of part of what i see mark doing as he's writing his gospel is he's he's throwing these things out that probably cause tension for the readers and and here's the tension is we're we're seeing that that peter makes this monumental declaration but he makes it he doesn't make it in jerusalem he doesn't make it on the temple grounds even this monumental declaration he makes it in caesarea philippi which again might just go to like blowing, kind of changing people's expectations for what Jesus was about, that it wasn't just all about gumdrops and lollipops, that really the the Messiah and who Jesus was going to be was not going to meet their expectations. So even where, where Peter makes this declaration doesn't meet a person's expectations. Like if you're writing this story perfectly, if you were really trying to tie it together and make it this beautiful story, you probably wouldn't include where this happened. But Mark was okay with sort of the warts and all part of this message. Which is one of the things I absolutely love about the Bible, and it's why I believe the Bible is trustworthy, because it doesn't fit the fairy tale model. <laughs> it, it's just so brutally honest. I think a cool thing about that declaration there, I think in a way too, Brian, that's a foreshadowing that one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord, that even here in this city, this village, where there have been a lot of painful memories for the Jewish nation, like everywhere, one day people are going to profess that Jesus is Lord, you know, Jesus is King. There, there are so many different opinions about who Jesus was in the, in the height of his ministry, right? I mean, look at all these different answers. When Jesus says, well, who do people say that I am? Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets. In a lot of ways, not much has changed, has it? Like You, you could ask that question today. We could go out on the street and say, who is Jesus? And there are just so many wrong opinions about Jesus. Well, he was a great teacher. He was a healer. He was a prophet. And and all of those have some truth to them, right? Jesus was a teacher. Jesus was a healer. He was a prophet in a way. He was a priest in a way. But they all fall short of who Jesus really is. That Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God. He is the second member of the Trinity, God the Son. He's our rescuer. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And then in the midst of all those wrong opinions, it seems like Peter finally has it. <laughs> Peter says, you're the Messiah. But again, I think he only partially sees the truth about who Jesus is. And, and that's going to be obvious here in, in a week or two as we continue on with the story, that 
that he's got that Davidic conquering king, Messiah that you mentioned, that this Messiah who's going to overthrow the Roman government, he's going to restore rightful leadership and dominance to the nation of Israel. And he didn't recognize the suffering servant Messiah. And I would submit it wasn't until after the resurrection that his eyes and the eyes of the disciples finally see clearly who Jesus is. And think about where we are now at this point. So here we are in Mark chapter 8. We're, we're almost exactly halfway through the Gospel of Mark, 16 chapters. And this is the first time that a character, a human character in the story, echoes the truth of the book's opening. You know, we have to go all the way back up. Six months ago, we started this series on the Gospel of Mark. And chapter 1, verse 1 was our very first message on this. And here's what it said. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So look, the author, the narrator, Mark, he tells us this at the very beginning of the book. This is the good news about Jesus, and he tells us who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. But John, this is the first time any human actually echoes that truth. Now, we've seen that message come out, but we've never seen it come out from the lips of a human being. Right. We've seen it from really every other possible angle. God himself, God the Father, has declared it. God declared that this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Multiple times in the story, the demons have declared it. Jesus, Son of the Most High, what do you want with us, right? Even creation, in a sense, has declared Jesus' deity by submitting to his commands when he calms the storm. But this is the first time a human being, other than the narrator, uh, comes along and echoes this. And it just, just made me think of how slow we are to come to the party sometimes as people, as stubborn, rebellious people. You know, we like to tease Peter. I like to tease Peter a little bit because he reminds me of myself. He often puts his foot in his mouth, and, and we're going to see he's going to do that again next week. But I, I do want to encourage Peter in the sense or acknowledge that he's the first person in the whole story of the Gospel of Mark outside of Mark the narrator to declare that Jesus is the Messiah. So, so Jesus is opening Peter's eyes to see it. He's given him a heart that's going to respond, and he makes the declaration. And it's a very personal declaration. That's one thing that I noticed in the passage. Mark specifically says Peter is the one who declared it. He didn't just, it wasn't a group declaration, mm. right? This is one of those things that we have to do as individuals. We have to personally decide how we're going to respond to Jesus. Yeah, and even Jesus, think about how Jesus said it in this passage. He asked two questions. The first one was, who do people say I am? So that so the first question was kind of a broad one. Who do what have you been hearing about it? What are people saying about it? But the second one was so direct and personal. He said, "But who do you say I am? Who do you say I am?" And that's really the question for today. You know, th this is this is an opportunity for our listeners, especially the listeners who are saying, "I'm I've been on a journey I'm not really sure what I believe about this yet. I'm still investigating. That's great. I think it's awesome that you're investigating. The whole, the whole resource library at PursueGod.org is built for people who want to investigate a relationship with God. But at some point, you have to take a step of faith. You know, it's interesting, John, that you, that you pointed out that Peter's the one who did it. 
it's not surprising that Peter did it because we know Peter was one of those guys that was willing to take that step. He was sometimes to his shame, but he was the one who stepped out of the boat. He was the one who would take a risk. And some of our listeners may be a little bit more risk averse. Some of our listeners may be just the kind of people that have paralysis by analysis, the people who just overthink and overthink and overthink. And I want to I want to speak to those overthinkers out there today. At some point, you have to make a decision about who you believe Jesus is. And actually, you're making a decision by not making a decision. Making a decision to stay on the fence is basically saying that you do not believe that he's the Messiah. Now, again, some of you might say, well, I'm still, I, there's still some questions I have. I don't have it all figured out. We've said it how many times today, John? Peter didn't have it all figured out. We're going to see it next week. It's it's not about, you know, making a personal declaration of faith is not about having every answer to every question you've ever asked. Making a personal declaration of faith is about saying, I'm, I'm finally ready to take that leap of faith to give everything I know about me to everything that I know about Jesus. And this much I do know is that he is the Messiah. He is the Savior. Everything that I've learned so far about him in the Gospel of Mark, I believe it to be true, and I'm ready to now personally step out in faith and make that declaration. Yeah, Romans 10, 9, and 10 is a passage that, that talks about that declaration. It says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And so that means something when I declare Jesus is Lord, right? When I declare that he is Lord, it means that, that he has the authority in my life. Now, I may not have it all figured out. Like you said, Brian, I'm, he's st- I mean, he's still revealing things to me. And I've been a follower of Jesus for, for over 40 years now. And there are areas in my life that he reveals to me that, that I just had blind spots to or or didn't recognize it, aren't, aren't honoring to him. And my response in that is, is humility. It, it's to come to him and say, no, you're Lord Jesus. I don't, I don't want that to be the case anymore. I want that to honor you. Uh, or, or he reveals something to me about his character in a new way. That, that still happens to me all the time. So we don't come to faith in Christ knowing everything there is to know about Jesus. But like you said, we declare what we do know about him. We know that he is the Lord we know that he's the Messiah. We know that he came and he lived a perfect life that we can't live. He went to the cross and there he paid the penalty that I should have paid. And so because of that, I, I pledge my allegiance to him. I want to follow him. I want to serve him. I want to love him because of what he's done for me. Yeah, you know, there are there are five things that we talk about, five teachings about Jesus in the early church. This is topic five in the pursuit series. So for our listeners who have never taken the pursuit, I really encourage you to go through that and and topic five is a good summary. It's actually Peter himself, right? Peter is the one who's declaring Jesus to be the Messiah right here in in Mark chapter eight. But later on in Acts chapter 10, Peter now has, like you said, John, he has so much more clarity. He was still on the journey. He has so much more clarity about who Jesus is by Acts chapter 10. And when he preaches, he shares this message with Gentile believers, most of us listeners are Gentile believers. We didn't grow up Jewish. He just highlights five things. I I just want to close by sharing these things because maybe it'll be helpful for our listeners 
to think through these five things and to say, if, if you agree with these five things about Jesus, maybe it's time for you to step out in faith and, and make a personal declaration, like make it personal. And so here are the five things. Again, topic five from the pursuit. Number one is there's peace with God through Jesus, who's Lord of all. So Jesus isn't just God Jr. He's not just a good guy. He's not just a good prophet. He's not just a good teacher. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is Lord of all. He is God himself. That's number one. Number two, that Jesus went around doing good and healing people who are oppressed. So that, that speaks to his humanity. So really the first thing speaks to his divinity, that he's fully God. And the second thing speaks to his humanity, that he's fully human, but not just fully human, but perfectly human. He is, he is sinless. That's the second thing. Number three, they put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life. So the death and resurrection of Jesus is central to a biblical understanding of who Jesus is. Number four, that Jesus is appointed by God to be judge of all, the living and the dead. So there is such a thing as sin, and we should take it seriously. And then number five, here it is. I love this. This is the last thing that Peter said about Jesus in his sermon in Acts chapter 10, is that everyone who believes in Jesus will have their sins forgiven through his name. You know, so if you, as you listen to those five things, my question to you is, do, do you personally, it's not, I'm not asking you what you think your family thinks about it or what you think our culture today thinks about those five things. It's not about that. You know, Jesus started with the question, who do people say I am? And then he said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? If you're listening to this and you're saying, I believe those things, I believe all five of those things about Jesus, then maybe it's time, if you've never done this before, Maybe it's time for you to make a personal response of faith. Again, Peter models it here to make a personal declaration that you believe in Jesus. And so, so John, what that means, if we come back to that, that wherever you are on your journey, that picture we started with at the beginning, that three things and trusting Jesus, honoring God and making disciples, we're, we're really talking about someone who is not yet on the circle. They're still investigating and we're talking about someone who wants to actually get started. And we would love to have you do that with us today, even as you're listening. If, if you're ready to make that declaration, it, it would be something similar to this. It, it's not the specific words you need to pray, but the hard attitude with it that, you know, God, I, I recognize that I'm a sinner and I recognize that, that I need a rescuer. And I trust that, that Jesus is that Savior, that he did, in fact, come down from heaven. He did take on flesh he went to the cross, he died, he paid the penalty for my sins, but I believe that he rose again as part of the Daniel, or excuse me, the Romans 10, 9, and 10, that, that God raised him from the dead. Um, and so, Jesus, I come to you and, and I confess my sins. I want to go your way now instead of my way, and I ask you to come in and, and be the Lord of my life. I'm declaring that you're Lord now. And the Bible says that when we do that, this, you know, this amazing thing happens, this transfer of righteousness where Jesus takes our sin and shame upon himself and we get to be clothed in his righteousness and we're brought to new life. Um, and so if you've prayed that prayer today for the first time, uh, we, we'd love to help you get connected with someone. We'd love to help someone come along beside you and disciple you and, and mentor you. We think that's super important because God's going to be revealing things to you gradually. 
Just, just like he did with the disciples. It's back to the story we have today. Like you're going to have things that God's going to reveal to you and to have someone who can walk along with you and, and be side by side with you as, as God reveals those things will be important to your journey. If you need help getting connected to a church in your area or getting connected to a mentor who can walk with you in your journey of faith, you can email us directly, podcast at pursuegod.org. But I want to just encourage you as you read Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 30, that God is continually working to reveal himself to you. And that defining moment, the defining moment in your life, that moment where you cross over from being an investigator to really being a pursuer of God is when you trust Jesus for salvation by making a personal declaration of faith in him. We see it in Peter's story, and we hope that we helped you to do it in your story as well.